Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McDilly. I'm here with my co-worker, Shanu Prasad, and we are both super excited to be talking to the amazing Ellie Mani. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> attaching the name, the word amazing to my name always find, I find that a little bit weird, but <laughs> it's oh, lovely no. to be here. <laughs> it's I'm, really, really lovely to be here. I'm very excited to talk to you because I don't think we've had you on the podcast before and I've been a long, long time fan. Uh, it is just lovely to um, be interviewed and I'd like to thank you for the support and, you know, everyone who has reached out to me via email and um, via message to say that they've been loving the new book, which has amazed me. It's been really, really fantastic, the response I've had. Let's talk about the new book. Can you tell the people listening a little bit about your now recently out in the world book, Nuns Shall Sleep? Um, So do you want the elevator pitch? (laughs) Yes, because it's such a good one. (laughs) The elevator pitch. All right. Um, Okay, so in 1982, two teenagers, serial killer survivor Emma Lewis and US Marshal candidate Travis Bell, are recruited by FBI Behavioural Science to interview convicted juvenile murderers. But when they're drawn into the hunt for an active killer, a new killer who's targeting teenagers, they realise that their best source of information is a notorious teenage sociopath called Simon Goodmanson. And that's it. (laughs) I just love this book so much and what a premise I've heard it compared to Silence of the Lambs I've also heard it compared to Sadie's um two awesome books that I absolutely love so like a mashup of that like where did you get the idea oh um well (laughs) where did I get the idea (laughs) I mean uh I'm a long time murderino so I'm I've been a true crime fan for a really long time and I think I read Mindhunter by John Douglas, uh, the book that was turned into the Netflix series. I read that back in my 20s, so a long time ago. Um, and I was completely, uh, I was completely enthralled by that, um, that book. Just the idea that, um, they, that, that the behavioral science unit was so innovative at that time that they were, they were doing completely new things and that they decided to risk take by sending these FBI agents into prisons and mental institutions to interview serial killers, convicted serial killers, and so that they could learn more about um, that kind of psychopathology and figure out a way to catch these people faster. So I, I, you know, when I first read that, I was fascinated. I mean, serial killers are kind of, um, evergreen, fascinating material, I think, uh, in pop culture terms. Um, but I'm also kind of fascinated by the detectives and um, their psychology as well, like uh, what prompts them to, to do this for a job and what's it like and how they cope. Um, so, you know, that has always interested me. And then, and then I was on writing retreat with a whole bunch of other writers. And I had just finished um, editing White Knight. Um, Another amazing book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. And um, look, I just finished off, I finished one book and I was really looking for a new 
a new uh, idea, I guess. And I'd been spitballing all of these, you know, alternative ideas and I'd pitched a few to friends. And then um, and then C.S. Pacat, who is an amazing writer, she wrote uh, the Captive Prince trilogy and she's the writer of the Fence comics. Um, she turned around and said, well, what do you really want to write? What do you want to write for you? You know, like what would, if you, if you could write anything right now, what would you write? And I said, I would really love to write a serial killer thriller for teenagers. And she said, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so she was basically like, enabling me right from the start. <laughs> she was so right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, look, it was great, you know, to, I think it was just that I needed someone to give me permission to do it. Um, I think I'd always been a bit, oh, couldn't possibly do that. You know, it'll be too dark. It'll be too scary. No one will want to publish this book. And even while I was writing the book, I was thinking, oh, this is probably going to be too hardcore. Um, but, yeah, and then then I finished the book and it was, it was great to write. It was enormously fun to write. Um, and then and then I pitched it to a new agent and then um, they said yes and then uh, they pitched it to a publisher and the publishers said yes. So I was, uh, I was like, wow, how did this happen? <laughs> so it was... It came out of those things. It came out of a long-time interest in John Douglas and Mindhunter and and the Silence of the Lambs and reading Thomas Harris way back when, and then being being given permission, being let off the leash, basically. <laughs> and uh, it's really interesting that you did set it in the in the early '80s. And I have to admit that I didn't quite <laughs> like I didn't read the blurb at all. So I just like dive into the books. And so sometimes it takes me a little while to realize the something that if you'd read the blurb, you would know straight away. And, it took me <laughs> and I was like, why are they, why is he mentioning that she's got a shaved head? Why is that so strange? And then, once and then I realized it was 98. I'm like, oh, that would have been a bit more unusual. <laughs> oh, and why don't, why don't they have mobile phones? <laughs> yeah, What's going on? So they just call each other. It was one of the reasons, I mean, obviously, you know, you, as we're talking about behavioral science unit was, it was, that was actually the point when the, um, right, quite at the, Early, he says that it's only been going for like a decade, and yeah. I was like, "Well, hang on a second. This is dead in the past. But is that is that is that why you chose to set to set the book in yeah. um, what is you know, even though other life then um, is what is now called a historical time period? <laughs> yeah, I know the early eighties are now historic <laughs> historical fiction, which I find yep. mind blowing. Yeah. But, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was one of the reasons why I decided to set it in 1982. I mean, that was about as far back as I wanted to push it. I didn't want to push it back into the mid-70s. I mean, behavioural science as a unit started up in 1972 and Howard Teton and John Douglas were two of the key figures in the establishment of, of behavioural science and criminal profiling with the FBI. I mean, a lot of people have already watched the, the Netflix series Mindhunter, um, so they kind of now it's more common knowledge that that that's when this all started. Started, yeah. Yeah. So and I thought, well, you know, within that first ten years, I mean, they were still really um, nailing things down. I think in the kind of mid seventies, and I thought, um, well, you know, within that first ten years, they would still be innovating. They'd still be trying new things and taking risks and. Um, you know, what if they decided to hire a couple of teenagers to interview teenage offenders? Um, and, you know, what if one of the people that they interviewed turned out to be this incredibly manipulative 
um, teenage sociopath. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, uh, the the 1982 thing. That's where it really came from, and um, I've tried. I did. I tried to make it a little bit timeless too. You know, I yeah, think. Well, yeah, literally until you said the ten year thing, I, I I hadn't quite twigged, and I think after that, I still you know, except for the mobile phones, yeah, you probably you probably yeah. couldn't really. Where's I read that blurb? Like searching <laughs> for every possible detail about this book because as soon as I heard about it, I was so excited to read it. So for me, like the 1982 setting was such a a draw card. Like I think this premise would hook me regardless of you could set it any time, and I would want to go on that journey. But having it in the 80s, being a fan of Mindhunter myself, yes, well, like this is so perfect. I can't yeah. wait to dive in. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I was I was asked, you know, we did have a, some discussions when the book was going through editorial about whether or not we should just make it contemporary. Um, but the mobile phone thing is a real big deal, you know, like it really changes in things. Time, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, it changed. Like, if you want me to nerd out a little bit here, it actually changes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> It actually changes a whole heap of things around the whole serial killer um, uh, investigative process. Um, and, in fact, the 70s and 80s were kind of oh, what they call, uh, and this is going to sound weird, really weird, but it's considered like the golden age of serial killers. And one of the reasons why we moved out of that period, um, not that there is fewer serial killers but um, it just became harder to um, have people sort of mysteriously get lost or, you know, everyone's connected now on mobile phones. Yep. Um, people don't hitchhike as much, you know, like starting by about mid-1980s, I think a lot of that, a lot of things socially and culturally started to change that meant um, people were less uh, vulnerable as victims, you know. So, so actually the 70s and 80s was a good time for serial killers. And um, <laughs> and there's some discussion too about how the 70s and 80s were kind of ripe psychologically because of the they the serial killers in that of that period were came from families that had been that had had parents that were damaged by the experience of World War II and the Depression. Um, so there's there's a lot of discussion about how serial killers are formed and, you know, the whole nature-nurture debate. Um, and there's a lot of agreement that actually um, the kids that were raised by parents who were damaged in the World War um, and by the Depression and by the huge social and cultural changes of the 60s actually, you know, that had a huge impact on people's psychology and the family dynamic generally. And so that's where a lot of serial killers seem to come from. And, you know, I guess. some really great ones for this book. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I, I uh, did read this book. Um, I tried to start reading it. I, read, I, I knew it was, I, I'm not good with scary books. So I, <laughs> I tried reading it during the day on, oh, no. a, sunny, on a sunny weekend. And, um, but I had to stop for, you know, life reasons. And then when I got back to reading it, it was uh, just before I went to sleep. And, oh no! Um, I oh, had no. in the in the very um, it's it's so fantastic those last few chapters. But um, it was like when I watch a scary movie, I couldn't watch the whole thing. I had to keep stopping it and like read a bit, put it down, read a bit, put it down. <laughs> so I read.
went both of it very quickly and then it, the last like three or four chapters it took me like an hour and <laughs> an hour to because I had to just keep um keep pausing it because you managed to get the tension and the um so like you just really don't know what's going to happen and you don't that's what I think is so brilliant about this book is that a lot of crime books you read, you just like, it's the it's interesting, but you kind of know where it's going and you know what the end result's going to be. And in this one, um, you raise the stakes very high. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I certainly was, I was surprised, which I love. And I think oh, so. That's in a uncertainty. Yeah, it's so hard to achieve in a crime novel because you sort of go into it with, an, with a pretty firm idea that, it's going to work out. Yeah. Plus, this is YA, so if anything, we should have been a bit more safe. <laughs> but I, when, yeah, when the story is this good, all of that flies out of your head and you're just thinking, oh, my God, how is this going to work out? And that final, like, act, keeping things spoiler-free, but, like, the whole yeah. ending of this book was just, oh, God, if it was possible to read, like, through your hands, like when you were <laughs> movie, I would have done it, but it's not possible. <laughs> That's why I had to keep putting it down and putting it back up just to try and bring myself back into because I was, even though my husband was like right next to me in the bed, I was still, <laughs> it was still, it was still well, scary. But in saying that, it's not like it's something that, um, you know, I didn't have nightmares afterwards it, because, you know, it but it was just, it was just the act of reading it. You were really in the moment and you were not, um, yeah, I was, it felt quite real. Like I was quite there with the characters. Well, <laughs> and I thought about it afterwards. Um, and I think part of that is that, Again, I'm going to tiptoe and try and be spoiler free, but you have you've given your characters really strong emotional arcs in this book. So it's not just the action that's coming to a big culminating moment in the end. It's also all of this intense character work going on at the same time. So it's like this double whammy of suspense. And it's just like bravo because (laughs) just talking about it's making me want to read it again. Ah, thank you. (laughs) This is so amazing. I mean, I mean, look, I agree with you. I think crime fiction does have these sort of set tropes, and it's really easy to kind of fall into a habit with them, um, or to kind of let down your guard or something. I don't know. But to tell you the truth, I've had an enormous response. I've had so many people contacting me about that last hundred pages, and they keep saying, "Oh my god, that last hundred pages! What did you do?" (laughs) It's really masterful. Which is really interesting to me because I, I struggled with that last 100 pages. I, I had actually written the ending and then I got about 50 pages before the end and I was like, I got halfway through the final act and I was like, uh, this is not working, what's going on? And there was really no tension on the page and I was, I was really pulling my hair out. Um, and then I, so I, I gathered again my brain's trust, <laughs> contacted all my writer friends who I know are great at brainstorming and said, look, there's something going on here and I can't figure it out what what is going on, what's going wrong. Um, And then so I had, you know, I had a a couple of people throwing out ideas for me and then I had to go back and really figure out what what was the purpose of each character in, in, in the story? You know, what was their drive? What was their motivation? And what was the one reason why they, they, what was the worst thing that could possibly happen to them <clears throat> on during the story? Yeah. Um, and I had to, I had to make them go through that, you know, like I had to confront them with that thing. What was their absolute worst fear? Um, and they would have to live it in that final act for the, for the tension to really be there. Um, so yeah, I had to completely rewrite that last hundred pages, <laughs> but it seems to have paid off. So that's really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, 
It definitely has. Because I, I was curious about how, and I always am curious when, um, you know, about particularly crime novels, how they, how you do fit them together, because there are, um, there are so many elements that you have to make sure work. So do you sort of storyboard everything out beforehand? Or do you, like you obviously said, you had kind of the way you wanted to end it. And then, yeah, yeah. It, but I, uh, is that kind of where you sit? Or do you have, are you like one of those people that has like a thousand? post-it notes all over their wall or is it more just sort of you write and then you go back and check or oh the post-it notes are very tempting I, I could waste so much time making post-it notes and charts and things like that yeah <laughs> that would be my writer's procrastination dream right. yeah. um, so actually I specifically don't do that because yeah I really am one of these people who would just get completely carried away with the with the storyboard and with the the plot chart uh, yeah. which I have done in the past and and not actually write the book so I was like, oh, okay. So I just need to sit down and actually plot it out on paper, which I did. Um, so I have, I write in, in big red and black notebooks, these really cheap notebooks. And Garth Nix and I were talking the other day about how we, we use the same brand of notebooks and um, they became quite hard to get at the start of lockdown. So we were both like, oh, no, what are we gonna do? where are we getting our notebooks from? Um so, so yeah, I have these, so I have about six of these notebooks for Nudge Sleep and I just, I kept all of these uh, really detailed notes and um, particularly about character journeys and where they were kind of emotionally on the spectrum at each point. Like where was Emma going emotionally? You know, she's she has a real tumultuous journey, emotional journey throughout the story. And and Travis as well. And, and you know, Simon, even Simon has an emotional journey, um, even though he's he's uh, quite hard to read um, and he's not in every scene, you know. He's he's one of those characters that make, makes a big splash on the page, but he's not in every scene. Um, and, um, and, yeah, so I had to track all of that. But, you know, I, I never started like this. I was, I've been such a plotter for the last couple of books, particularly this book. Um, but I started... The every series, I just I wrote that completely, you know, uh, straight onto the the page. It was just completely pantsed right from the wow. start. <laughs> I adore that series so much. I was saying to Shanu before the podcast, I think it's either three, but potentially four times I've read the whole oh, series. Oh, that's so adorable. I, yeah, I do remember just like checking before, like I, you know when I wasn't um, uh, in books when I was doing something else for a little bit. And I, I just remember like, okay, when's the next one out? When's the next one out? And being just like not, not being able to find out, whereas <laughs> now we're in a privileged position where you just harass the um, publishers to find out when the, yeah. when the next book's, when the next book's like, coming. But Hey, um, when's my next hit arriving? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, um, the book ends in a way that is very, you know, it finishes the book, but it also ends in a way that we hope, Sarah and I, and I'm sure lots of the door is open. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to ask this yet, but I'm just going to ask it now. Because you know, series. Is, <laughs> is there going to be something that maybe you might have reoccurring appearances from these wonderful characters? I would love to write a sequel to this book. In fact, I have written 25,000 words of sequel for this book. <laughs> but, um, you know, it will really depend on the reception for this yeah. one. For okay, Nunchal well. Sleep does well, then I guess I'll get the green light. And if I get the green light, I tell you what, you'll hear me yelling with joy <laughs> all the way. All the way in I'll join you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because I just, oh, I just so really love, love writing them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have totally enjoyed writing these characters. It's, it's as easy as breathing. You know, some, some books are really hard um, and 
you know, for reasons I don't know, you could dig into, I guess. But I think because I started this book originally just purely uh, for my own pleasure, uh, it was the book that I wanted to write for myself to read, you know. And so I felt completely comfortable writing this book and and I would easily fall back into writing the sequel. Um, and I've already, you know, I've already kind of half half mapped it out and and I'm just yeah waiting to see what happens but yeah look it's all it's all in the lap of of fate now destiny and the readers, so anyone and the readers. Go, not just buy it but tell everyone else to go and buy it too because if you once you've read it you'll want to know more and you'll and you'll definitely want to meet the characters again um there was such a great relationship between um between uh Travis and Emma and I really um uh, uh, like how do you know and you and in as you were talking about your um every series you just write such great um characters that interact with um you know like partnerships partnership. yeah that's the word yeah. thing, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like what's the word when two people together but they're not together um, and they work really well together and they're in something what is that yeah. <laughs> um, but you know was that uh was that something that you know what is that uh, draws you to writing kind of these, you know, strong, these characters that can both be strong and vulnerable and sort of, you know, help each other um, to be kind of like, sound terrible, their best selves. <laughs> I think I think there was, um, you know, this, I like the idea of, um, I'm not a person who tends to prefer lone wolf characters. I really do like seeing the dynamic of a duo of some kind on the page. And also I think, you know, that can be interesting for the reader, whether, there, you know, it's a, whether it's a partnership or a relationship or whatever, it's, um, it's really, it allows the reader to see the characters interacting and there's something always, there's always something happening, you know, there's dialogue happening. It's not just one person kind of thinking for themselves what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, Travis and Emma really have something special. I, I, He's specifically recruited, basically, to be there for her. You know, I mean, even though, so she's recruited because she's had this experience of being the survivor of a serial killer. And so she has these skills, these unique skills. Um, she can understand, you know, um, the mentality, I guess, the the psychology and how how psychopaths think and behave and and their process and that allows her to have unique insight that the FBI can use but you know she doesn't like the FBI she's worked she was you know she basically had to rescue herself the first time um, that she had that experience and and so she's come she's very very suspicious of them when they approach her she's never completely comfortable working in that environment um, I think she just felt like, yeah, she's on her own. And then, and then Travis is recruited, you know, obviously he has a connection with Simon Goodmanson as well. Um, so, and, but he has this law enforcement background, which kind of focuses on, on duty and service, but he has, I mean, he's not a macho character at all. Like he's actually, no, that's, no. that's the beauty of him. You know, he's, he's the complete opposite. In fact, he's, he's kind of pure. <laughs> he's he's yeah. like. He's got this real social intelligence, you know, that he's very aware of her and and her reactions and and he he mediates between Emma and the world, you know, and between Emma and the FBI. And uh, and and because he's law enforcement, he can say, 
well, look, you know, um, if we do it this way, if you talk to this person, you'll get you'll get answers. You know, he's he's able to help her navigate that world, um, which otherwise I think she would really struggle with. And yeah, yeah I just they were they're so great together on the page. They they riff off each other really well. There's a nice tension there, which I really like. Um, you know, maybe if I'm given the opportunity later, I, I'd like to explore that some more. Um, but yeah, it would be, it, it would, it would, they were a great couple to write, you know, even though they're not like a couple. Couple, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was trying to be like, but it's like, but you can see it and you can also. The potential see it. there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's what I like. That's what I like because I, yeah, I just think that just, it just makes it so much more interesting to read when you're. When you again the same way the same as the actual crime aspect of it is that you just I'm not you're just not sure how it's going to where it's going to end or how it's going to um you know how their relationship's going to develop exactly yeah know, so that's which I think is just great to uh, like, to read books like that where you're not you know it's great to, yeah. it's great sometimes to know straight away what you're getting into it's also uh, good particularly in the, particularly in the when you've already got the crime and then the the I, I can't get over how um, amazingly characterized you made Simon. As, um, <laughs> oh my god I was gonna say that because I think that when you've got a villain that just tremendously spectacular it would be really hard to keep things balanced because I'm yeah. as interested like I love when he shows up and it's amazing yeah. <laughs> but I'm totally invested in Emma and Travis as well and I think that's rare when you've got a villain this good He's Simon was um, so hard to write, and I've got this terrible habit of writing these genius characters when I myself am not a genius. You know, like find all this stuff out. (laughs) It's like as soon as I realised what he was going to be like, and I was like, oh, and then, and then the FBI handler Edmund uh, Edmund Cooper has this line where he says, oh, you know, he got he got in. IQ tested at 14 is in the 98th percentile. And I was like, God damn, I've written another genius again. <laughs> I am not a genius. It is really hard to write genius characters. When like he's 10 steps yeah. ahead of everyone else in the room. He's he's also, you know, unique psychology. Like he's he's got that psychopath type psychology. And I was just like, ah, oh, this is great for me. <laughs> Writing this guy. How am I going to write this guy? He was really quite, the scenes with him and Emma took a long time because um, he's, you know, he's always so fast. He's he's so much further ahead of everybody else in the conversation. And uh, you kind of have to write that. But you don't want him to sound like he's 45 years old, you know. Like no, he's, no, no. He's, still a, he's still a teenager. He's only 19 and he's, yeah. He, yeah, you have to kind of make that aspect of him believable. That although he's hyper intelligent and he's he's a, a psychopath, he's he's also uh, he's a young guy, you know, and he wouldn't want to think of himself as doing stupid things, but he does still have a kind of an emotional reaction and and has he he's he gets cocky and and things like that and he does make mistakes, you know, he's not infallible. Um, and he's not invulnerable. He's, got, he's not invulnerable yeah. either, yeah. And he can be taken by surprise. And, you know, so I, I really did have to work quite hard on Simon's dialogue. Um, but he is a joy to write. He is he's so cutting. You can really, really picture him in your mind the whole time. Um, you know, you set the scene of where he his asylum so, so well that, you know, 
and I can imagine Pradeep, who is his, um, I guess his personal jailer almost, right? Yeah. Because like, yeah. you know, and like, you know, not being allowed to be certain, you know, distance and stuff. So when that, you know, when you break that distance, it really, you just like, there is, there is a, like, right. a reaction. You've set it up so well that that is not to be breached. Yeah. <laughs> there is, yeah. Like it's a Grand Canyon. Yes. Not really. So, and uh, and yeah, I thought that was wonderful. Uh, and Simon and Pradeep have this really interesting relationship yeah. too. <laughs> you know, they have this real formality and politeness and courtesy between each other. And yeah. Uh, Everyone who reacts with Simon, who, who kind of interacts with Simon seems to have a, a different experience of what he's like, you know. And um, and I was talking to um, Emma Viskic the other night and she was, there was a question from the audience as like, do you think, you know, um, do you think bad people know that they're bad? <laughs> do you think, oh, yeah. you know? And I said, well, it, I said at the time that I thought it was interesting because I don't think most people do who do bad things realize that they're that they're the villain. You know, they think they're the, they're the hero of the story. Yeah. Um. And Simon is unique because he knows that he's bad. <laughs> he knows that he's he's a villain, and he knows that what he does is evil. But he's kind of embraced that, so he's decided that yeah, that's that's just going to be his okay thing. With it. Yeah, and he's okay with it. He's kind of reconciled himself to to the fact that, that this is how he is. This is his. This is how he's made. This is how he works. It's how his mind works. So yeah, he's really really fun to write and and hard to write too. <laughs> the the other the other character that really um, you know sticks in your mind. I mean, they all do, but sticks in your mind is the fact that you created him a twin sister. Who, yes. And that oh, I don't want to talk too much about what she is or isn't because I didn't, you know, again, giving the story away, but um, the having, having her as sort of like a foil to him. Yes. So they're like, you know, what was the, what were you trying to achieve having, having her um, story? I wanted, I, I did want Simon to have a kind of vulnerability and I also wanted, yeah. So, so she really is um, a bit of a, a weak point for him. Kristen, so Kristen's delightful and she's so odd. Good. <laughs> she's completely eccentric and yeah. and she's kind of like this, you know, lightweight, oh, you know, and she's always smiling and and she seems really, um, um, I don't know, ethereal or something about her and then it's not until you, you, re you realise when she starts talking and then she starts sharing, you know, something of herself and then you realise that, oh, okay, so you're actually really damaged, you know, and she's, she's, you know, everything about her has, has developed depending, it's been dependent on, on her brother, you know, her twin, you know, she's kind of lived, grown up in Simon's shadow her whole life and, um, and it's impacted on her in, in really, really strange ways psychologically. So she's, she's a very interesting character um, and uh, I I did want her to be, yeah, a particular weak spot for Simon, um, and and also that she throws an element of chaos into Emma and Travis's, you know, uh, arrangements with the FBI yeah. and everything to do with their investigation. And Kristen is is she just kind of sprinkles fairy dust and chaos dust basically <laughs> on everything. 
so yeah she's really interesting and yeah it's nice to talk about talk about her because she often sort of seems to fall by the wayside as a character and yeah oh, no, no I think I don't think that the book would have been as um would have worked as, as no well it wouldn't work yeah no, 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 she needed to be she 100% needed to be there I think it was I um, found her very interesting and consistently surprising because yeah. when you're in a crime novel and a twin shows up there's a lot of expectations <laughs> yeah. there about where we're going and yeah, no, I, I just was, without yeah. giving away details I just she consistently surprised me and that's great. That is refreshing and amazing yeah I, yeah, I wanted to throw her in as a chaos element and I think she works really well. And also I think she's she's kind of a nice person too, you know. Everyone's kind of driven um, in the book, everyone's driven in certain ways and, and there's a lot of intensity there but Kristen is, is kind of a pure soul in lots of ways. <laughs> she's sort of, you know, just kind of floats through and she doesn't realise how much of an impact she's having but her impact is really huge. <laughs> she's Absolutely. interesting in her own right as a character um, but her effect um on Simon like the yeah. being like this walking vulnerability out there yeah. is amazing as well and I think you know it might have been easy to have her exist just to serve the Simon character but instead she's her own like yes her own important character in the story um really liked it it's just a oh, great cast this is a solid so I, I I can't wait for this next book because I'm sure it's. <laughs> I so hope I get to write it, but I guess we'll see. That would be amazing. Yeah, it would be so much fun to write. We do normally ask what's up next for the author's podcast. <laughs> I will ref- not accept any answers except the sequel to Nonchat. <laughs> but I do feel like we should ask are you working on other things or anything else coming up that you're able to talk about? Um, yeah, I am. Actually, I'm trying uh, to write the last 10,000 words. Uh, it has been incredibly busy the last couple of weeks. So um, I've, I've got literally the last few chapters of a new book, um, which I'm trying to complete. And it's it's uh, due to come out next year, which is really Ooh. exciting. And it's a real change of pace. So um, yeah, if you, it's, it's historical fiction again, except I've thrown it back another 40 years. So it's 1943. Oh, um, my God. And I can't give too much away, okay, because <laughs> we haven't made the announcement yet. But uh, it's 1943 and if um, and Enigma Machines and um, Flucky Girl Gangs and um, Murder Mysteries, of course. Oh, my God. So, How do you do this? Everything <laughs> you decide to write is something that I just didn't even realise I was longing for. Like, <laughs> that sounds so good. Oh, I hope you like it. I hope you like it. Fingers crossed. Hopefully I can figure out a good ending for this one. <laughs> uh, is, is there a kind of idea about when announcements for that will be made? I really don't know. I really don't know. Everything in publishing at the moment is is you know a little bit up in the air and a little bit slower than it than it has been in the past so yeah, yeah. as soon yeah, well. as as soon as i hear word i'll i'll let everyone know um but yeah in the meantime that's okay because we can reread <laughs> Don't Don't sleep. Sleep. Don't sleep. and the whole ellie money backlist <laughs> I'm I'm about to I'm about to check out the audiobook, which um oh, yeah what's the oh, oh, I just found this out in the last couple of days and it's blown my mind. Um, so the audiobook has been produced with a full cast, which is oh. really cool. <laughs> wow, 
And um, and the guy who's playing Simon is uh, Jake Abel, who is a um, he's a character actor, and he played uh, Luke in Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. If you remember oh, that, oh yeah, yeah. And he's also a regular on Supernatural, which is yep. really cool. So <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So and he's. He's just come off playing, uh, voicing Edward Cullen for Midnight Sun, and now so he's been, gone from playing a teenage vampire to playing a teenage serial killer. I think that's almost. Oh, that's that's. That's, that's so good. So it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting, and I'm 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 trying to download um, my my audiobook copy right now so I can have a listen. I've had a little little tiny excerpt, and it sounds fantastic. So I'm really excited to oh, listen to the whole thing. I love when there's a full cast. No, it's so good. Oh, wow. Especially because you do get all the changes of perspective. Um, yeah. That written from, you know, different perspectives in the book. So it makes a lot more sense um, yes. to, for them to have done that. But that's, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be so good. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about how um, publishing is a little bit in a strange place at the moment, as is, you know. Everything. everything. <laughs> um, but but what's it been like for you to have a book come out at this time? Like it would be a very, very different experience. Yeah, yeah, look, it has been different. And I think um, I think originally I was sort of stressed out about it. And I was like, oh, man, this is – and even in July, July, August, I was like, oh, maybe lockdown will end before, you know. And then, of course, the second wave came and I was just like, yeah. ah, dang it. <laughs> but, you know, to tell you the truth, um, the whole digital um, launch thing has been pretty good because it's enabled me. I mean, I live a couple of hours outside Melbourne, so it's actually quite hard for me to get down to live events anyway. So, yeah. you know, it's like four hours worth of travel yeah. and... Um, you know, I usually end up staying the night and crashing at my sister-in-law's house. Um, but yeah, so having digital events has been really fantastic. Um, so, you know, it's enabled me to go to New York and, um, go wow. to Texas. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got an interview with Jennifer Lynn Barnes in Texas on Saturday morning, which wow. is really a wild. I love um, her too. You know, like... I, I it, you know it's 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 been really eye opening and I think it's given us all all the book authors that I know a bit of a an idea of new things to to try and new things to do and um I just think yeah we'll we'll adapt you know and some things some things we'll probably take on board and and yeah. and use continue to use um so that's been really good it's um the the biggest thing that's been difficult i think has been a lot of releases got pushed back so actually you know the fall schedule for america is really busy right now um and you know i think there was the expectation yeah that things would start to settle down but of course that never really happened so whole bunch of titles coming out in september october um so yeah i think the schedules the publishing schedules have been a little bit all over the place for a lot of people um and the only other thing of course is that um, it's been hard to get uh, hard copy into readers' hands because bookstores have been really struggling. Um, independent bookstores have been trying to get, you know, and and Booktopia. I'm sure you guys have 
been struggling with post and trying to get all deliveries organized and yeah that that has been really hard distribution has been has been tough yeah, um, yeah. that's what's great that you've got the audiobook now and we've got yeah. now as another option i know it's been really you know, good rather than just you know as you said because you know sometimes it is i mean we've been very very lucky that um we work really closely with Australia Australia Post. Um, yeah. They've done a really great job really getting our parcels out around, around How Australia. How easy must they be? I can't some, believe it. Yeah, it, it's, it's incredible. So um, we've been we've been really fortunate. I think it's been great that, you know, we, we also, you know, at Booktopia, we also support, you know, you definitely say to people get, you know, buy from us and your local bookstore. Yeah, um, yeah. But where people, you know, a lot of people don't even have a local bookstore because they live, you know, remotely. And it's great that we've been able to, um, you know, get the books out to everyone. And now that, you know, we are doing more online events it really can bring in all those people as you said that live regionally or rurally that's right that haven't had the opportunities before and get them to experience and find out about new authors or authors that they haven't you know just haven't had a haven't chance had the to chance read. before yeah yeah, yeah totally. like said, good and good and bad together good and bad but, i mean <laughs> I, I really do i really do miss seeing people in person and giving people yeah. giving people hugs <laughs> and you know it's been really hard for signing <laughs> Oh. Um, but you know, but book plates are still a thing, and That's right. and, and they're, right. they're making a comeback. Who would have thought? They Last are. Year, we never would have. We would have just been like, nope, that is just not okay. Now yeah, they're like, you now. know what? It's still it's still a signature. It's, it's still, still okay. Author. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, look, it's you know, and the, look, the other thing is, everyone's in the same boat. You know, every author I know is is dealing with this. So you know, it's it's everyone's sort of trying to support each other and give each other a bit of a boost and that's been really nice so um so yeah look been good been bad but yeah we seem to be getting through it okay and and that's that's hopefully what we all will do when when COVID is over Okay, well, we've, we've managed to go a bit over time, <laughs> as I suspected we might, <laughs> uh, because it's been so fun talking to you. But, uh, Ellie, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely. And podcast listeners, you can get a copy of None Shall Sleep and any of um, Ellie's, Ellie Money's previous books, all of which I recommend, at your local bookstore if possible or if you can't make it there or you don't have a local bookstore, we would love you to come and buy it from us. Thank you. Yes. <laughs>